Wow, church, I, I can't ever remember going through a time like this, something like this. It just seems so surreal. Since the last time we gathered together as a family to worship, the COVID-19 virus defied international borders, crossed into our country, and what seemed like a problem that was someone else's quickly moved into a pandemic that is touching each of us significantly. Even at the, the time that we're recording this, we just got news from the governor that, that with the whole state is completely shut down now except for gas stations and, and grocery stores. It's, it's a surreal experience. Like many of you, I haven't left my house except for to go for some walks through the neighborhood and, and even to come do this recording. It's just been so strange. I'm going to preach a sermon. I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to preach a sermon to virtually an empty auditorium, except for some of the, the guys that are here doing production and have done the worship for us. My hope, though, my hope in doing this is that... Is, by doing this virtual preaching or virtual sermon, it will give us a much-needed sense of connectedness during this time. It's certainly not my preference. It's not your preference. It's not our preference. But we can be thankful for technology in this situation and for its usefulness. It's keeping us virtually connected. And my hope and my belief is that we're going to emerge from the cocoons that COVID-19 created with a greater longing for the community that undoubtedly we have taken for granted. One thing that I wanted to make you aware of is that the, the elders of Brandywine Grace Church have, have, have created a plan where we've distributed all of the partners among the elders, and our intention is to make contact with every partner and every family in the church. It's times like this that you come up with these kinds of ideas. Perhaps it's something we, we should have and, and could have been doing more of. But that's our intent, to, to be in touch with every partner and family in the church. We're obviously stepping out of our current sermon series and stepping fully into this situation because this crisis is affecting all of us in different ways. Some people are experiencing real fear right now, some panicking, some, some thinking that, this whole th the, that the way we're responding is irrational. Some people are getting sick. Some of us are, there are vulnerable people among us. Some people have lost their jobs. The economic effects of this crisis are mind-boggling. We're worried about what life is going to look like in the next few months. So we shouldn't minimize or seek to shrug off this trial, but I don't believe we should let it overshadow our hope or confiscate our confidence in God. The last sermon that I preached from, from this stage 
was beginning our, our a series called Renewal. And the sermon was called Scripture Alone. And, from, and in that sermon, I preached from Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. And I concluded that sermon with this thought. If we abandon the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture, it won't be long until we abandon our faith. I don't think I realized at that time how prophetic those words were. Well, we were seeking that Sunday to emphasize the complete and utter sufficiency of God's Word. And a crisis, a real crisis, will really cause you to examine, do I really believe what this says? Is Scripture sufficient for COVID-19 and the implications and the ramifications of this crisis? Augustine said, faith will start tottering if the authority of Scripture is denied. Your faith will start to shake when the sufficiency of Scripture is denied. And there is no doubt, church, that COVID-19 is testing our faith. It's testing your faith. It's testing your level of, of trust in God's Word. It's testing your confidence in God. For anyone, Grace, let's not allow our faith to disintegrate into fear. Let's not allow our faith to totter. Let's, let's reinterpret. I say this regularly to, to all of us. Let's reinterpret this trial, a very real trial. We have this opportunity to reinterpret it as an opportunity to rely on the Holy Spirit. Let's look to His Word now and allow His Word to speak truth and words of comfort to us in this crisis. Turn with me to Psalm 91. We're going to look at Psalm 91. Here we have a tender, intimate psalm that describes the confidence of a believer that they may have through all manner of crises. Here we have this tender, intimate psalm that describes the confidence that a Christian can have through all manner of crises. Let's read it together. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. 
For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Lord, I pray that in the midst of this crisis, you would speak truth to us from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The purpose of this psalm is to instill greater faith in us. That's what this psalm wants to do. This psalm wants to give you a greater sense of the trustworthiness of God. The whole object, the whole intent, the whole purpose of the the psalmist in writing this song is to build your confidence in God. To build our confidence in God. A good question to ask ourselves in times of crisis like COVID-19, in times of trial, is this. Does what you believe about God help you in any way? Is our doctrine merely theological, lacking any practical value? God intends that what we believe about him would actually function in our lives, would actually get something done in our lives. In other words, theology is immensely practical. This crisis is is teaching us this, that our theology, what we believe about God, is intended to be immensely practical. God has given us doctrine that we might enjoy. That word I chose carefully. That even in the midst of crisis, we might enjoy the practical benefits of confidence in Christ during the crisis of COVID-19. God has given us doctrine that we might enjoy the practical benefits of confidence in Christ during the crisis of COVID-19. So let's get to work in this. Let's review this psalm and let's consider what are the reasons for our confidence in God through crisis. Because if all I'm going to do is tell us tell you to be confident without giving you any reasons for your confidence, then that's empty theology. It won't get anything done for us. It won't help us. It won't motivate us. What we need are reasons and they're right here. So we're going to look at the reasons we have for confidence in God. Then what I want to do is is consider what are the practical expressions of that confidence in God. In other words, what does it look like if you're actually confident in God? 
Make sense? So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about reasons for confidence and expressions of confidence. Reasons for our confidence in God, expressions of our confidence in God. So let's start with our reasons for confidence in God. This, the psalm, the book of, the, the book of Psalms is actually broken down into separate books where psalms are actually grouped together. Psalm 91 actually occurs in book number four. And book number four is, is a, are, are these summaries of God's dealings with his people. They are actually referred to as liturgical psalms. In other words, they were songs that were written with the worship and praise of God as their concern. There's one main theme that runs through the book four, which begins in Psalm 90. And so Psalm 91 is the second psalm of this book. But the theme that runs and courses through all of these psalms is the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. Now I want you to see something. The last book of the book three of the Psalms ended with Psalm 89. And Psalm 89 ends in a very striking way. Psalm 89 verse 4-6 ends with questions. The psalmist is asking questions. And these are the questions he's asking. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of she, she, O Lord? Where is your love of old? Remember, Lord. Remember us. How long, O Lord? Now, the psalmist cries out in verse 38, how, you've cast us off, we feel rejected. So this psalm ends, this book, book three, ends with the psalmist communicating his doubts to God during the midst of his crisis that he's going through. He's asking questions. How long, O Lord? Did you forget about us? How long? will we be able to endure the discomfort of this? If this goes on too long, I'll begin to lose. I'll lose my job. What will I do then? Who's going to deliver me from the discomfort of this? Who's going to deliver me from my pain? Who's going to deliver me from my fear? Who's going to deliver me from my loneliness? Who's going to deliver me from the stress of this? Where are you, Lord? Did you lose control? Aren't these questions that the psalmist is raising so similar to the questions we're raising? Don't the... The fears of Psalm 89 sound like the fears of COVID-19. What does God give us to refute the doubts of Psalm 89? He gives us Psalm 91. What does he give to build our confidence in the midst of crisis? He gives us Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is incredibly applicable to us Church, in this 
situation, incredibly applicable to this crisis. He used the word, you probably caught it, you probably don't think of the word pestilence too much until you endure the coronavirus. Two times he uses the word pestilence. What was going on contextually? We don't know. But it's very likely that there was this invisible, rotting disease, a pestilence, that was sweeping through the nation, going from tent to tent to tent. Invisible enemy wiping people out. COVID-19 is by definition a pestilence, the disease. It's not the worst pestilence. It's not the worst pestilence the world has ever seen. But it is a scary pandemic with a significant mortality rate. A lot of people have died. I was just looking at it before I, before I began to preach. There's over 10,000 people have died. A lot more people will die. A lot of people have suffered. A lot more people are going to suffer. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And that statement alone can cause fear to well up in our hearts. Uncertainty. Will the Lord help us? Can we have confidence in God? Psalm 91 teaches us, church, that God will protect us. That God will help us. That God will deliver us. There's an eloquent opening to this psalm. It's enriched by these vivid metaphors that the psalmist uses to describe God's protection. And then four names, four divine names of God used right in the opening of the psalm. So look at these metaphors for protection. He uses the the word shelter. God hides you from danger. The the language of dwelling and abiding. A lodging place. uh, A staying place. A hiding place place. He speaks of the shadow of under the protection of the wings of God. He speaks of God being a refuge, a play, a refuge is a place of security. He speaks of God being a fortress who prote- God protects you from enemy attack. And then the names that are used of God. He says he who dwells in the shelter of the most high, high above every other power. He speaks of him as being abiding in the shadow of the Almighty, El Shaddai, the name which sustains the Israelites even during their homelessness. The language of the Lord, all capital letters, that's Yahweh, I am who I am. And the language of Elohim, God, but not just God, the psalmist says, My God. God aggressively defends his children against every kind of threat. God aggressively defends his children against every kind of threat. Look at the catalog of God's praiseworthy acts of protection. 
It says he's going to deliver us from the snare of the fowler. He's going to deliver us from the deadly pestilence. He covers us in the shadow of his wings. He protects us like a shield from the terror of night, from the destruction of daytime. God aggressively defends his children against every kind of threat. This is the truth that this, the, uh, that this psalm teaches us. God is aggressively defending us. And I was trying to think of if there's any time in my life where I have ever been aggressively defended. Can you think of any time that you've been aggressively defended? I could think of one in my life. There was a, there was a time in my life where, where we lived, we lived in a rural area, and, and uh, someone had, had decided to move in with a camper into that properly and had a lot of dogs with them. They were keeping Doberman Pinschers in these, uh, it sounds surreal, but this is really true. And they kept Doberman Pinschers in these wooden fence structures that they built. And my fear as a 10-year-old with all my friends was that one day these dogs would all get out and we would be chased and attacked by these dogs. And one day riding my bike with my friends, this reality, this nightmare came true. And I was literally attacked by full-grown Doberman Pinschers. And I remember thinking, I'm, I'm I don't know what's going to happen to me. I think I'm going to die. I remember I eventually, I thought, remember my dad told me to stand my ground. So I stood my ground, never run away from a dog. But then when they started to bite my legs, I thought, I guess I got to run. So I took off running. But what I didn't know is that one of my friends had run to get his neighbor, Betty Ann. And Betty Ann, I can still hear the scream of her running down this gravel driveway swinging a wiffle ball bat. It must have been the only thing she could find. And she was screaming at the top of her lungs. And she came down into these Doberman Pinschers. And I mean, just started cleaning house with that wiffle ball bat and screaming. And those dogs took off. I was aggressively defended by my loving neighbor, Betty Ann, the beater of a rabid pack of dogs. She later showed us the blisters she got on her feet from running barefoot on the gravel to get to me. Now, I hope that God's protection is better than the aggressive defense of Betty Ann. But I think it does provide a picture, a picture of God's aggressive defense, and it depicts the warm, loving protection of a, of a mother, which is what God describes himself as when he says he's going to cover you with his wings. COVID-19 is serious, but it's nothing to God. When I mean it's nothing to God, I mean it exerts no power or influence over God. God can clear out no... COVID-19, like Betty Ann can clear out Doberman Pinschers with a wiffle ball bat. Nothing will harm his children that he hasn't allowed or intended for their good. Now the Lord's defense of us is not just motherly. 
It's not just maternal. It's not just warm and loving. In fact, it's described as a shield and a buckler. That's warrior language. The, the Lord is going to aggressively defend us with the hard, unyielding strength of armor. God aggressively defends his children. God aggressively defends all those who put their trust in him. Everyone who, puts, who takes God as their refuge will find him to be a, an aggressive defender of them. But let's deal with one of the obvious problems of this text. Verse 7 troubles me. It says, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it won't come near you. How is it that God is aggressively defending his children? How is it that God aggressively defends us in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis? What if COVID-19 does come near me? What if it comes near to my family? This can't mean that our faith in God as Christians means that no trouble will come to our family. That no trouble will come to someone from our church. That no Christian will be affected by COVID-19 and possibly even die from the virus. It can't mean that. It can't mean that. You know that famous verse from Romans 8 that Christians regularly quote? God works all things for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. In saying that God works all things for good, it doesn't mean that trial doesn't touch us. In fact, if you read Paul's letter further, just a few verses on, he asks a question. He says, what will separate us from the love of Christ? Not, and then he begins to list the things that are happening to people. He says, Tribulation won't separate us. Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. The promise of Romans 8.28 doesn't exclude tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. COVID-19 might come to us. COVID-19 has come to us. The consequences of it in some way are being and will be felt by all of us. Even our dying friend Jesus was brutally killed on a cross. What the psalmist is saying here is that the person who hides himself in Christ can be confident that God will eternally deliver him from danger. This is our hope, church. The evil in this world will not ultimately get the last word. Not over God's children. God will have the last word. 
not even death, the seemingly final end of all, has any authority in the life of a believer. God aggressively defends and eternally delivers all who take refuge in him. So let's ask ourselves this question, church. Are you taking refuge in him? Are you seeking refuge in God during this crisis? Are you actually enjoying the benefits of doctrine, a doctrine that teaches you that God is aggressively defending you and eternally delivering you? Are you emotionally stable during this crisis? This doctrine is supposed to get something done in our lives so that a Christian can live through COVID in an emotionally stable state because you know that God is going to aggressively defend you and eternally deliver you. Is that happening for you? Is that happening in the midst of this? If these are the reasons we have for confidence in God, then the next question for us is, how do I enjoy the the defense and deliverance of God? How do I get those things? Like, like does everybody get them? How do, I, how do I get the aggressive defense and eternal deliverance of God? It's really clear here. The people who get them are the people who make God their refuge, are the people that run to God. The scripture says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous will run to it. And what happens? And they'll be saved. So there's, there is, there is a, an application on our part. If we want the goodness of the defense of God, the aggressive defense of God and the deliverance that he promises, then we've got to run to him. We've got to find him as our refuge and not other things. These heightened pictures of of danger and deliverance reveal the total range of God's protection over us. Our God is a God who cuts every threat down to size. He cuts every single threat that we will ever encounter down to size. So church, let's consider these reasons we have for confidence in God. The person who has made God his refuge is always safe, day and night, every hour, every moment, every danger, every threat. Jim Elliott was a young, passionate missionary, a servant of Jesus. He was obedient to God's call. He felt like God was calling him to go spread the gospel among the unreached. People that were lost and didn't know Jesus, he went to them. He, was, he and his friends were eventually killed by the Alka Indians. And it was Jim Elliot who said this, You are immortal until your work is done. You are immortal until your work is done. We're immortal, church, until God calls us home. We don't have to live in fear. God 
God will God rules and reigns over all things, including the time of our death. We can't die until the Lord permits it. John Calvin said that long life would be given to all of God's children were it not for their advantage that they be taken early out of this world. We won't leave this earth one minute sooner or one minute later than God has appointed. And that doesn't mean we live recklessly. That doesn't mean we live without wisdom. But it does mean this, that coronavirus has not caught God by surprise. Nor has any other pestilence or any other trial that has ever come upon the world or upon you hasn't caught God by surprise. You're not going to leave this earth until your work here is completed. Jesus completed his work on earth and then he sat down at the right hand of God, where he is now, ruling and reigning forever. And he finished his earthly work at the age of 33. It wouldn't be kind of God to keep you here on earth after your work was done. So, brothers and sisters, are you remembering this? Our theology of God it provides us with a transcendent perspective on trial. We have this hope in Jesus. We have this great hope in our future. And all that Jesus has accomplished for us in the salvation that he purchased for us, the salvation that he secured for us. No matter how bad COVID-19 crisis gets, we'll be fine if we make the Holy One our hiding place. This is what Psalm 91 teaches us. So we've spoken for some time now about our reasons, the reasons for our confidence. What I want to do now is take some time to apply this. What does our confidence in God, if we have reasons to be confident in God, what would that confidence look like in us? Will we, Brandywine Grace, look any different than than unbelievers in the community? Will our lives show that we actually have confidence in God? It, it should show itself. It should reveal itself. The psalm gives us many reasons we have to be confident in God. But let's look at what that confidence looks like. What are expressions of genuine confidence in God? If your theology is functioning, it's not just theory. It becomes practical. At first, this trial that began in significant part about a week ago, at first it felt like a snow day. And uh, can you guys relate to that? It felt like, you know, everybody's home. Like, I've got all my, my, college, the kid, my kids that are in college are home. My kids that are in school are home. My wife is a school teacher. She's home. I'm home. And it felt so surreal. And it felt like a snow day. And if you're anything like me, a snow day sets into, into action a certain mentality for me. And it's not, my, my intentions do not become, how can I look to use this day to make others happy? My mentality is, how can I use this day to indulge myself? That's how snow days function. And so that's how the start of this crisis began to function for me. 
My typical response with time off is leisure, not love. And we see all around us, though, how people are responding to this crisis. You can see there's this critical spirit that's overwhelming people. The hoarding of toilet paper is enough to make a documentary out of. Unhealthy behaviors forming and growing. But these are not the expressions of a Christian who is confident in God. What, what are some of these expressions? I want to give you three. The first one comes right from Psalm 91, verse 14. One expression of our confidence in God is that we hold fast to God in love. That's the first expression, holding fast to God in love. Because he holds fast to me in love, God says, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. Undoubtedly, we have more time on our hands due to this trial than we have in the past. What can we do with that time? Well, we can, we can binge watch Netflix. And that only lasts so long. <laughs> After a while, that begins to kind of have a hollow effect. We can just get on the news and be on the news, watching the news, watching the latest updates, trolling social media. How are people responding? And no doubt we do a lot of that. What I want to appeal to you is that with, with some of the time that you have at home that you would do as the psalmist does. He's, got, he's been given reasons for his confidence in God. And so what does he do in the midst of crisis? He clings to God. He holds fast to God in love. How can we do that? We spend time in his word. We spend time in prayer. Could we use some of our, free, our freer time? Could we use some of that to, to get into the word? To read more of his promises? More time praying for health care workers? More time praying for the elderly in your community. More time praying for those with a compromised immunity. More time reading, perhaps a Bible reading plan. Do you have a list of books that you could read? We just put out, we sent an email with a list of of free resources that just would be incredibly helpful to you during this time. Use some of the time that you have to, to read, to grow closer to the Lord. To go to to pursue and hold fast to this one who aggressively defends you and who will eternally deliver you. That's the first thing. We're holding fast to God in love. That's an expression of our confidence. Second, second expression, doing sensible and human things. Doing sensible and human things. There's a certain amount of normalcy to our lives that we should continue to enjoy and perhaps enjoy in ways that we haven't been. Could it be that God has has slowed us down to show us what's most important in life? C.S. Lewis, in writing about a threat that they were experiencing at the time of his life in England, which was the threat of the atomic bomb. He wrote about how Christians should live under the threat of the atomic bomb. As I read this quote, you might substitute the the word coronavirus 
every time he says atomic bomb. And I think you will find some real wisdom for yourself in the midst of this crisis. Listen to what he writes. In one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? And I'm tempted to reply. Why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year. Or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. This is the first point to be made. And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. Some of us need to be pulled together. Pull yourselves together, church. If we're all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, six feet apart, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts. You're going to have to do that virtually, it appears. Not huddled together, though, like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. A microbe can do that. But they need not dominate our minds. Church, we need to slow down and check ourselves. Are your minds being dominated by the crisis? If they are, then that's not an expression of confidence in God. Our minds should be free to do sensible and human things if we're really trusting in God. You've got some extra time on your hands. Get some more sleep. Read a book. Play some games. We played a game called Snorta the other night. It's a totally dumb game. It's really dumb. I don't like the rules of it. I'm a a rule-following person with the games. I like to win. I lost. But we were dying laughing. Dying laughing. We might not have enjoyed that, that moment, with the, the course and rhythm of our normal lives. Sports practice, homework, all the things that we're normally doing. The crisis has come, we're locked together, we're playing games, we're laughing and enjoying it together. It's a way to express confidence in God. Third, third thing I'll say, an expression of confidence is loving and serving others. Loving and serving others. As things get increasingly difficult, and they are going to, and they will. As it gets increasingly difficult, we're going to have increased opportunities to be the church. To love and serve others. Let's think about what it means to be hospitable. Now, most of us think wrongly about hospitality. Because when we think hospitality, we think Martha Stewart. We don't think of what it really means. It means serving people. And in the scriptures, it often meant serving strangers. Let's check in, church. Do you have widows? Do we have widows in the church? Do we have widows in our community? Let's check in on them. Do we have single moms in the church? Do we have single moms in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our family? Let's check in on them. 
We've had five people from the church respond to our survey. Some widows and single moms letting us know of their needs. Thank you for doing that. To, to the rest of the church, I say, use those. You can get on the link with the, the email that we sent and let us know what your needs are. The deacons are on it, and they are meeting the needs of those five people, and we are thankful to God for them. Could you run errands? for people who are of a compromised immunity system, for the older people in the church that, that shouldn't be around others. Listen, church, let's not be like the, the culture which is hoarding things for themselves. I, saw, I literally saw two women get in a fight at the grocery outlet at Amelia's because one of them had a whole cart full of toilet paper. And they were arguing. I thought they were going to get in a fist fight. I thought I was going to have to break up a fist fight over toilet paper. Don't hoard toilet paper. If that's you, repent and share like God calls us to as if you're confident in God to take care of you. It's not expression of, of confidence in God if we're selfish. To love and to serve expresses our confidence in God. If your community's already doing something to support it, the schools are providing lunches for, for families in need. Call your local elementary school. See how you could help. J. Russ has been giving thought to the missional community leaders, talking with them about how they can actually meet in virtual communities, giving them ideas. Do you have gifts? Let's use them. If you're like Barnabas and you have the gift of encouragement, you should be texting people. You should be calling people. You should be using your gift of encouragement. Do you have the gift of teaching? You should be leading your family in devotions. You maybe should be helping others in your missional community, gathering your fight club virtually and, and teaching. Do you have the gift of generosity? If you have money, there's going to be people to help in the church, in the community, in the world. Your generosity could make a difference. Let's use those gifts. Do you have the gift of service? There's so many things we're going to be able to do. You can drop groceries off, as I've already mentioned. Do you have the gift of administration? There's a care team forming. We just discovered that uh, through a, a contact in the church that we're going to be able to buy food from Cisco at cost. We're going to buy it, receive it, stock it, distribute it, first to partners, and then we're going to engage the community with what their needs are. We're going to need people to administrate this, to receive the orders, to, to stock it, to distribute it. Look for a link in the form uh, in the next email that you send on these things. Church throughout history, in times of crisis and trial, these have been times where the church did her best work. If we only have a theoretical theology, but it lacks practical application, COVID-19 will, could, and is a disaster. But if our theology of God, a God who aggressively defends us, a God who eternally delivers us, actually bolsters our confidence, then this COVID crisis, with all of its challenges, may be our finest hour. Amen. Grace and peace to all of you. God will see us through because he's an aggressive defender and he's going to eternally deliver us. Amen.